don't know about you, but I like that mission pastor. I, I, it's something about him. <laughs> um, I, I was like, start with a question is when we get to the sermon. Have you ever, um, like, do you ever like making things with your hands? You ever made somebody a gift with your own two hands? Now, sometimes that's, that's really, really special, right? Like you've put a lot of time and effort into it. And it's really meaningful to the person that you've done something that personal for them. Other times it just does not go well, right? And it's like, this very much looks handmade, right? I, I had a friend who was looking to build these uh, cute little house things, and it had a flower jar thing, or it came up as a chimney, and you could put flowers in it. It was just this little decoration. And I said, oh, I, I can help make that. Like, I'm pretty good with the, you know, the saw and the, the woodworking. I can, I can help you out there. I, 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 I've never had something go so badly in my life. In the end, I had to admit that I was not capable of the task at hand. This was a major defeat on my part. Sometimes making things by hand really shows, doesn't it? Well, th that will come relevant uh, into the message today as we get going. But we're through a series um, and coming towards the end now um, called Lost the Plot, where we've been looking at the speech of Stephen in the early church. Stephen was the very first Christian who was killed because of his belief in Jesus. And just before he's killed, he gives a speech where he recounts the history of the people of Israel, and he's telling the story in a way to indicate to them how they have missed the point all along, and now how they've missed out on Jesus. And that's so offensive to those people that they end up killing him. So we're getting very close to the end of his speech. In fact, we're at the very last story that Stephen tells in this before he rebukes them. And the past two weeks previous to this have been focused on the final point which he's, he's coming to, which is uh, that they revere and idolize the temple. And he started by talking about the tabernacle, then talked about how David, the greatest king, was not allowed to create the temple, which was a more formalized structure than the tabernacle, which was a tent. And then now, today, we talk about Solomon, his son, David's son, who did build the temple. Now, let's get into it a little bit. I'm before we get into Stephen's speech for a second, I want to go back to before and what his accusers were saying of him. So um, let's go to this first slide in Acts 6. So his speech comes in Acts 7. And so they, they want to, you know, they, they want to disprove Stephen, so they send lying witnesses because they can't actually match wits with him. So the lying witnesses say, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the law of Moses. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So what you're hearing is people who feel uh, as though he is destroying, mocking, diminishing the most sacred things of their religious belief. The temple, the law of Moses. And so what they believe is happening here is a great blasphemy, a great desecration. So Stephen stands to speak against this and to refute what they're saying. Now, let's go to the next slide where we've come to the end of this here. And I'll repeat some of what we did last week and then into the new section. So Stephen says, 
David found favor with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it. Now this is the part which will especially start to sound quite counter to their belief system. Stephen says, However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asks the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? Now what Stephen is doing here in this moment, he's quoting another, one of the most famous prophets in all of Israel, the prophet Isaiah. And the, the prophet Isaiah is actually um, declaring the words of God himself. And so what we hear God saying is, could you build me a temple? Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? And so now Stephen is saying, see, you missed the point of even what the great prophet Isaiah said, that the temple that you revere is actually not something God really wants or needs. And yet you make such a big deal of it. Now this actually shouldn't be that counter to their belief system, but they feel like it is. And if they had remembered the stories of the past about how the temple was even first created, they would have remembered that even in the very beginning, it was recognized as not something that was necessary for God. Let's go back uh, to the very beginning when Solomon um, builds the temple. And as he's dedicating it, on the next slide, we see um, what he says. He says, but will God really live on earth? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Now Solomon and his father David, they have spared no expense in making this an incredible building. It's magnificent, ornate. It's taken an incredible amount of time and effort and resources to produce this beautiful, fantastic structure. And yet at the end of it all, the most glorious structure in all of Israel, Solomon says, I know that it's not going to contain God. I know that this temple that I've built is just something we've made with our own hands. And it could never contain an infinite God. So in this moment, even in its very beginnings, they don't have any illusions about what this temple means for them. God doesn't sort of move up with his U-Haul and move into the temple, and now that's the only place that God can be found. Not at all. It's, as Solomon recognizes, this is a symbol where we can see clearly a reminder that God is here with us. But God is not contained by this building. Now, what, where we lose the plot in this is going to become evident in what the people that are fighting against Stephen are saying. Now, uh, let's go to the next slide here. I want you to see two things that um, have come in Stephen's speech. One we'd read today, but one was from a few weeks ago. So in Acts 7.41, Stephen is telling about the story of Moses and how the people of Israel had uh, turned away from God's ways and made an idol immediately after God told them not to. So in Acts 7.41, says, they made an idol in the form of a calf. They brought sacrifices to it. 
and reveled in what their own hands had made. Now that's the key line. They reveled in what their own hands had made. And then what we see a few verses later, as Stephen is now speaking directly about the temple, we hear the words we've just read, however, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. Asks the Lord, didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? What Stephen's accusation to the, to the people that are fighting against him and, and, and opposing him, what the accusation he's making against them is that they have made an idol of the temple now. The very building that was meant to represent God's presence amongst them was now more important to them than the God it represented. And they had revered this building, this, this structure, more than they were honoring God, more than they were listening to what God was saying to them, more than they were paying attention to what God was doing. They had lost the plot. And so they were reveling in what their own hands had made rather than focusing on what God's hands make and do. And God doesn't need a temple. God is not constrained by a building. God is not bound by space and time in the way that you and I are. But they had focused so much on this place that they were missing God, the very place that was meant to represent him. That's how we lose the plot. Let's go to the next slide here where we just reflect on that. How we lose the plot? When we revel in what our hands have made. Now you say, well, we don't have a temple. Are you talking about the church building? Well, maybe. We could spend so much time focusing on just maintaining the building and upkeep and those sorts of things that we actually forget what we're even here for and why we have a building in the first place. But what are all the other things that we make with our hands? What are the things that we revel in, that we take delight in, that we make with our hands? Well, we could talk about religion, just a step away from a building. We could say, look at all the things we have done. Look at what we have created. Look at the way we have put this all together. We could talk about our career. We could say, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I made it happen. I started with nothing and now we're here. We could talk about what we've accomplished in a relationship or, or what we do in our society or in our culture. We could look at what we make with our hands. We could say, look at this beautiful art that I've created. Look at what we've accomplished as a people. Look at the skills and abilities we've developed within our athletic teams. We revel in what our hands have made. Now, it's not wrong to create things. It's not wrong to make things. But what Stephen is reminding us here is that when those things become more important than God, and they become our focus above God, we have made ourselves an idol. No matter if it is the most well-intentioned, beautiful, religious thing or not, if it is taking the place of God, it is an idol, even if the thing that we are delighting in is the temple, the church, 
our so-called ministries. You see, it doesn't matter what it is. No matter how good the thing is, if it takes the place of God, it's an idol. And what Stephen is saying to them is, you have made something that was meant for good. It was meant to honor God, and you have made that more important than God. And there's this contrast here of what we have made with our hands versus what God can make. What have you made with your hands? What has taken the place of God? Are there things that we revel in that actually push God aside? Are there programs within the church that we say, this must continue no matter the cost? And I've seen churches that value their building or value a program or value even a certain pastor above what God might be doing freshly amongst them today because they're clinging to something perhaps from the past or some value that they have that actually has become more important than what God is even doing amongst them. What have we made with our hands? What does God want to make? So we lose the plot whenever we revel in what our hands have made, but then we hear in counter to that, we hear the words of Jesus. Jesus comes into his culture of the day, a very religious culture, and they religiously observe the Sabbath. They religiously do all these different activities, and they have the temple and all these different things in place, because that's what part of their religious belief means. And Jesus comes into that, and he disrupts that. Not because those things are inherently wrong, but because they've taken the place of God. They've become more important to the people than God actually is. And in one exchange in the midst of this kind of conversation, Jesus just simply declares, I tell you, there's one here who is even greater than the temple. Who's greater than the temple that's meant to honor God? God. <laughs> What's greater than the temple meant to honor God? God. And when we focus on the temple, we miss God. No matter how it's meant to point us to God. So Jesus coming in and addressing this is disruptive to them because they value the temple more than they value God. To them, the temple is the highest thing. They swear by the temple. And now look what Jesus says as we come in. Let's go to the next slide here. Early in the Gospel account of John, recounting the life of Jesus, there's this exchange, and here's what it reads. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Well, that's, that's going to grab your attention if you really value the temple. What, they exclaimed, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Now, I want to tell you something. 
they have already seen the temple be destroyed once. The temple that Jesus is standing in front of in this moment is the second temple, not the one built by Solomon. What happened to the first temple? It was burned to the ground. It was destroyed. Why was it destroyed? Because the people had turned from God. God had already shown them one time that if they turned away from God, the temple didn't matter for anything. And it didn't mean that God was gone. It didn't mean that God was powerless. But it reminded them that the temple wasn't the be-all and end-all. God destroyed the thing they had made higher than Him. And they were sent into exile, removed from the land, the land which they revere now. They were sent into exile and God said, again, I'm removing the temple from you. I'm removing the land. And you're going to see that none of that matters if you don't have me. None of it is higher. None of it is greater than God himself. And so when they were returned from exile, when God brought them back, as they turned back to God, they took time to rebuild the temple, and it took 46 years. Now, that's a building project. You know, if we ever have to build and expand this building, I sure hope it takes a lot less time than 46 years. I haven't even been on this earth 46 years. I can't imagine. I know some of you are thinking, really, but you look so old. <laughs> We see what's happening here. Jesus is reminding them, the temple that you revere has been destroyed and taken from you once already. And it was taken from you because you didn't honor God. And now he says, there is a greater temple. There is the presence of God more fully than in this building. And that presence of God is right here. Now, that would be an astounding claim if Jesus was not God. They should be offended if Jesus was saying, I contain the living God more than that temple. And yet, he is God. And what he points to is that what they have been looking for all along in the temple is actually found in him. What they have wanted was God's presence amongst them. And they saw the temple as a representation of God's presence amongst them. And Jesus says, there's something better now. Not a representation, but God, God's self. And so Jesus is pointing them to what's greater. So Jesus is destroying their temple ideology. He's destroying their temple idolatry. And so I say to you, what temple do you have that needs to be destroyed? What has become more important to you than Jesus? What's more important to you than Jesus? 
because there is one greater than that temple. That one greater is Jesus. What you've been looking for in that temple, that satisfaction, that purpose, that meaning, that value, that status, what you've been looking for in that thing, no matter how good it is, is actually only found in Jesus. And are you settling for the temple when you could have God, God's self? Let's go to the next slide here. I want you to begin to have a bigger vision, the vision that God has for his place in the world. Now, I've already referred once a couple of weeks ago to how the tabernacle was constructed. God gave instructions for how the tabernacle could be in, should be constructed. And when he did so, he did so using the pattern of creation. If you remember, we talked about that. Uh, in the beginning of Genesis 1, we see the world created in seven days. When God gives instructions to build the tabernacle, he does it in seven speeches. And many of the images of the tabernacle and then the temple later in its more permanent form are representative of the entirety of creation. See, in the very beginning when God created the world, the world was his temple. God was present in all of it. And his desire was to be amongst his people. When human beings chose to go their own way apart from God, that presence manifested itself differently. But God's desire was always to fill the entirety of creation. Isaiah, again, says this in Isaiah 6.4. He has this incredible vision and he sees seraphim, which are sort of a sort of angel, a heavenly creature. Um, and the seraphim are around God declaring this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That's what it means for us to see the world as God's temple. It's that the whole world is filled with God's glory. God's presence alive within every corner of creation. That's God's desire, is not to be distant from us, not to be distant from the world, but to be intimately connected, providing life in every corner of every part. The vision that Isaiah has of God in the world is that God fills it entirely, that his glory fills the whole earth. That's what God wants. And that's what the coming of Jesus begins to bring about again. In fact, so much so that when we get to the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 21, what we see is Jesus announcing from the throne the restoration of all things, the renewal of all things. And in so doing, John, who is watching this vision unfold, says, I saw no temple in the city, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
In other words, in heaven, in the new creation, when everything is made right by Jesus, there's no need for a temple. They don't need a building. They don't need a church. Because God is present among them. So the temple will pass away because God is present. And so I say to you again, what temple have you constructed with your own two hands that you're clinging to? Because that temple will pass away and be irrelevant in eternity. Are you clinging to God, or are you clinging to something you made with your own two hands? An ideology? A physical thing? Position, status? What are you holding on to? And if it's not Jesus, reconsider. And now... Next slide here. I want to take you to just a fascinating passage. This idea changes. The importance of the temple building has been changed because Jesus is present amongst people. But now we begin to read a change in what's happening here. No longer do we have to go to a place to find some experience of God. We can experience God directly and personally. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I've sort of condensed this a little bit so that you can see the point a little more clearly. But Paul is writing this to the people of Corinth. He says, you are God's building. No one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God? That the Spirit of God lives in you. For the person who follows Jesus, it's no longer that we need to go somewhere else or find something else that represents God in our lives. We can experience and know the life of God in us. Intimately connected. The whole person full of the glory of God. And we together form a new building so to speak, a new temple where the presence of God is manifest and on display, where other people can see the life of God in us and through us, the restoration of all things begins even now. We are a new creation and through our hands, God brings shalom, peace, wholeness to whatever we bring about God's life and presence and spirit to. Now it's no longer what we make with our hands, but that God is building us. God is building us with his two hands. The same God that used his hands to create heaven and earth is recreating you. And when God builds you up and makes you into a new person, when we are surrendered to His will, His way, His kingdom's purposes, 
When Jesus is the center of our lives, God builds us into a beautiful dwelling place for God lives by his Spirit. That is better than any temple we could ever make with our two hands. And so I ask you again, what temple have you made with your own two hands? Because the only good temple is the one that God builds in us. Let's just close with this uh, last slide. Reflections from all of this. God at the center means that we focus on Jesus who is greater, present in us by his spirit. We don't focus on the temples that we make with our own hands, but we focus on what God is making in us because Jesus is greater and he's present in us by his spirit. What good news that is for us because there are so many times with our own two hands, we set out with the best of intentions and in the end, no matter how skilled we are, how capable we are, no matter how we think we could build this simple thing, we have to recognize our failure in the end. Just like I did with my little woodworking project. No matter how good our two hands are, no matter how good our intentions are, nothing can stand against what God makes. So trust in Him. Allow Jesus to be the center because He's greater. Let's pray. Jesus, it can be hard to tell when good things that we want to honor you with become more important to us than you. And so, we ask by your Spirit that you would make it clear to us what the truth is and the ways that we value other things more than you. We yield those things to you. We surrender to you the things that we've made with our own hands, the pride that we have about our own accomplishments. And we listen to your voice. We look to your hand to provide, to build within us a holy dwelling place where you live. May the life of Jesus be in us by your Spirit. And through us would you bring beauty and blessing into the world. Not because it's our hands producing it, but because it's come from your hand alone. So Jesus, we look to you in it all. We declare that you are greater. Help us to trust you more and to put you first in our lives. In your name we pray.